This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to a Mike Missanelli Podcast, episode number 65. We hope you've been enjoying the previous podcast. We are up to 65 doing this one on Tuesday, March 29th. A lot of things going on. And of course, we are brought to you by Bet Rivers. Get that Bet Rivers app. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, I have been using the app during March Madness, and I am on a, a bad streak right now. That doesn't mean that if you download the Bet Rivers app, you're going to be on a bad streak. Uh, if you just hit streaks in this type of thing. Now, let me just tell you that this one thing is a, a just a preliminary to this podcast because I want to, uh, on one hand, I, I want to pat myself on the back, and on the other hand, call myself an idiot. So uh, when I filled this bracket out at the start, I had two surprise teams in the Final Four. I had Marquette, which didn't make it. But I had Miami, which made it. Now, when you pick Miami to go to the Final Four, what kind of an idiot would then bet Texas in the, on the money line when the actual game was played? I've already picked Miami to go to the Final Four. I get all spooked with Miami and Texas, and I take Texas on the money line going, well, maybe they're just a little stronger than Miami. I endorse Miami from the start. I bet Texas against Miami. I am an idiot. But anyway, don't be an idiot. When you download the Bet Rivers app, do not be an idiot and move on. It's a great app, and uh, we played, had fun playing with it all year. Okay, folks, let's... Uh, Let's get into the current events of the day here. And for me, it's Joel Embiid and the 76ers against the Denver Nuggets. They lost the Nuggets last night. Of course, during the day, uh, the big story was, and it broke in the afternoon, early afternoon, that Embiid would not play in the showcase game against his chief competitor for the MVP, which is Nikola Jokic. Now, uh, people are obsessed with this MVP thing. I, I told you, the MVP really doesn't matter to me that much, but let's just play into it since people are, are obsessed with it. And, and of course, you're going to get idiots who vote for the MVP. They're going to look at last night and say, oh, my God, look at that, MB. See, that MB misses too many games, and he was ducking Jokic. Now, that's a fool. 
because the last time he played against Jokic, he dominated him here in Philly. He made the statement of all statements and crushed Jokic, right? So if you're going to judge it fairly, you go, he's the MVP this year. Jokic has had a couple years in a row. This is an MVP year, and you call it a day. But people always want to find little ways to deplete Joel Embiid. And, and it's a phenomenon that I thought I would explain today uh, uh, or getting in it. First of all, I blame the Sixers for him not playing in that game last night. Now, there are many layers to this, but I think the Sixers in playing him in back-to-back games previously, Friday, Saturday, in Golden State, and then in Phoenix, it set up the situation where, okay, he's banged up, he's got a bad calf, you can't play him in another game, you can't play him three straight. So why wouldn't you have rested him against Golden State or Phoenix so he could play in this game? That's what their mindset is. Here's the other layer to this. Did Embiid himself have any input in not wanting to play this game, thinking that because his calf is hurt, he wouldn't be 100%, and that would give the voters a visible evidence that he shouldn't be the MVP? So in Embiid's mind, he goes, if I sit this out, my body of work is already done against Jokic, and now I don't deplete it by playing on a bad calf. That could very well be, because I'm going to do this fairly. Joel Embiid, in a lot of ways... And I don't mean this disrespectfully, even though it's going to come out disrespectfully. Joel Embiid is a little bit of a bitch. And uh, and that comes from people inside the organization. He is a milker. He he is a woe is me type of guy. He he plays into that role a lot, which is fine. He's a great player. Great players have their little personality quirks. That's his. He can be a little bit of a bitch. All right, so maybe that played into him not playing last night. However, maybe it was the Sixers who say, you know what? He wants to play in this game, but knowing Joel Embiid, he's going to want to dominate Jokic. He's already got a bad calf. He's going to go overboard and put himself more at risk to be injury if he plays in this game. So let's be cautious and talk him out of playing in this game. That could have happened as well. Uh we are in the era of load management. So it doesn't bother me that he sat that game out last night. I didn't need to see him against Jokic in Denver. But there are a lot of so many people out there that are tweeting, he always ducks Jokic in Denver. He never plays against Jokic. You people are ingrates because the guy, despite being a little bit of a bitch, has carried this team. He has literally carried this team over the last several years, including this year. So if you're looking at him like he's afraid to play Jokic in Denver, then you are an ingrate. Because you're not paying attention to what he has already brought to this team. And that's what bugs me about the whole thing. Now, um, let's look at it like this. The Sixers are coming down the stretch in an era of load management. And the people that have this narrative that Embiid doesn't play enough games is a false narrative. Because I looked at the numbers. Guess what, Giannis fans? Embiid has played more games than Giannis this year. And in fact, he's only played five fewer games than Jokic this year. So he's going to wind up playing 68 games this year in an era of load management while he's the biggest guy in the league at 7'1", 300 pounds. Now, do you have any idea what 300 pounds lugging up and down an NBA floor is like, okay? A bigger guy like that is going to get worn down a little more than a nimble guy. So this this load management, when people bitch about it, I go, you're the first people to bitch. 
when a guy is hurt in the playoffs. The regular season has become survival to the playoffs. How you survive it is smart managing. Whether you're a player from a player perspective, a coach perspective, a general manager perspective, or an owner's perspective. Your goal is to get through the season so all of your guys in the playoffs could be healthy because if you don't have a healthy team in the playoffs, you're not going to win anything. So to give your team the best chance to win in the playoffs, you have to load manage. I wish people would get their damn heads out of the Bob Cousy era and get into modern-day basketball where it's harder to play. The guys are more athletic. It's a quicker league. You get worn down. I understand the training methods are better. But these old school guys are making me nuts about this. Well, suppose you take a family of five and you spend $600 and your favorite player isn't playing. Well, guess what? Tough shit. All right? I'm I'm sorry for that experience, but it's like you're spinning a wheel at the boardwalk anyway when you go to an NBA game. You don't know what you're going to see. You hope you're going to see full strength. If that happens to be a game where there's going to be load management, you got to suck it up and tough for your family. I'm sorry. But you're the first guy that's going to complain if that guy is not playing because he's hurt in the playoffs. It gets me. It gets under my skin, Darren. Do you see how, how, how lathered up I am about this? You know, the, your father, though, and you've got a couple kids. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'll stop with that. I take my kids to the game. It happens to be a load management night. So what? Tough break. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying put yourself in that guy's shoes, right? Don't buy a freaking ticket then. You, look, you got a couple of young kids. They all love and beat. They want to see them. It's not like, you know, you go into a play. No bet Midler. So you know? we're supposed to put the whole team. We're supposed to put the whole team at risk when the goals win a championship because little Timmy is going to cry in, in his popcorn because Embiid's not playing that night. It's all about little Timmy. You know that. It's not about little Timmy. It's about the town, the city, to win a championship. That's what it's about. It's not about little Timmy. Because little Timmy's going to be the first one yelping at that parade if they win a freaking championship. Is that going to be a better experience for him? Yes, it will be. It will be. You're right. But he's also going to be the first one uh, you know, weeping on the ride home all night to, to little Timmy's dad. I can't believe he didn't play. Poor little Timmy. Uh, you, you know, I knew you would take this this side. And it, 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 it just appalls me. But so basically, what I, uh, I I don't know if Embiid, whether the Sixers kept him out, whether he kept himself out, well, I don't. It doesn't matter to me, right? It doesn't matter. What matters to me is if he needs load management and he's going to miss a game against Jokic. So what? We'll see what happens in the playoffs. The most important thing is his health for the postseason. I agree. Okay. So you people out there that are talking about this is why I'm not voting for him for MVP. If you're a voter because he ducks games, you're an idiot. And 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 the people who are fans of Philadelphia who, who didn't like this last night because it, it ruined their night of enjoyment, you're the idiot too because you know that the greater good is winning in the playoffs. All right? I, so there you I go. I agree. All right. It's the Mike Yosinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, folks, of course, we got the Final Four all set up. College basketball comes down to the final weekend, and then after that, it's the Masters. This is a good time of year, actually, but let's talk about the Final Four because everybody is shocked, okay? Uh, here's who we have left in the Final Four. On one side of the bracket, San Diego State will play Florida Atlantic University, coached by a man named Dusty May. 
Now, <laughs> let me just let me just throw this out there because we were trying to track down Dusty May that he's been swamped with interviews because I have a connection down there. One of my old interns way back uh, at uh, the Fanatic. I don't know, even we may have been before we were actually called the Fanatic, but uh, his name was Rob Roselli. And Rob it was a great intern for me. And Rob is one of these guys who wants to uh, climb the ladder and, and, and be in sports administration. He started at uh, Penn State. He went to another school. He was up at Rutgers. And, and lo and behold, he lands at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. Tough gig, right? So, but, but who knew that Florida Atlantic had a basketball team at all? Well, we didn't even know that before this year. It's the most obscure program I've ever heard of. They lose three games the whole year. People still aren't taking them seriously. So I finally watched them for the first time. I go, man, why? this guy did a great job, this Dusty May. And he's if you look at his resume, he was a manager at Indiana under Bobby Knight back in the day and, and never played. And went had all these stops as an assistant coach and winds up with the head coaching job at Florida Atlantic University, which is what these dreams are made of in the Final Four. This guy gets his team, and they're tough, and they're really fun to watch. They grind it out, and he's in the Final Four against San Diego State, which is coached by Brian Butcher. Now, I know Brian Butcher from back in the day. Brian Butcher, for 28 years, was an assistant coach for Steve Fisher who coached Michigan and took over that Fab Five year when Bill Frieder was fired, wound up going to San Diego State and built a program there. Now he's retired. Steve Fisher is one of the greatest gentlemen I have ever met in the industry. Fantastic man. In fact, one day I was talking about Steve Fisher on my radio show. All of a sudden I get a call. The call comes in. It's from Steve Fisher. He was in Philadelphia recruiting or something. He heard his name on the radio and he called in. Amazing. So all these little stories, they pop up. But Brock, we called Rob Roselli and his family. If you live in South Jersey, you know about the Roselli foods, the sausage. They're they're pr- pretty big in South Jersey, right, Darren? You know the Roselli's? I do. The Roselli farm is real. It's right next to like the Johnson farm, which is really popular, right near Lenape High School on that yes. Medford Mount Laurel border. They make a good pizza sauce. They make a lot of good stuff. Sausage. A lot go. of good things come out of that Roselli farm. Yes. Yeah, so so Rob, a good kid, winds up being a sports information assistant athletic director down in Florida Atlantic University. We called him Broccoli Rob. Because he, had, you know, he had the Italian food connection a whole bit, and I've been in contact with him. And this is my way of saying that I'm letting everybody down because we couldn't get Dusty May on. Because then Rob texted me, he goes, "Oh, he's being swamped." I get it. Uh, he's got bigger fish to fries in the Final Four. Dusty May, maybe, maybe one day when you need me, I won't be there for you. But anyway, the Final Four is Florida Atlantic against San Diego State, and on the other side of the bracket, Miami against UConn. I would not be surprised if Miami won the whole freaking thing the way they play. I mean, they're, they're, they, they, they're really good. They play together. They're coached by a really good coach who took that George Mason team way back in the day to a Final Four. They were our 10th seed, Jim Laranega. Uh, but here's the thing. I like this as a basketball guy because I'll watch good basketball. I'll watch grinded out basketball. Nobody cares about this Final Four. And that's the shame of it. Because in a lot of ways, the charm of the NCAA tournament is these lesser-known teams achieving until you get to the Final Four. And everybody wants the big star players and the star programs to be in the Final Four because they know them. Nobody knows these teams. You kind of had a run way back in the day under Jim Callahan. I get it. But nobody cares about this Final Four. And I predict it'll be the lowest-rated Final Four ever, which is a shame. And it's hard to... To, to commingle these two situations. On one hand, the delight of these underdogs getting to the Final Four, and then 
at the end of the day, I'm not interested. What else is on type of thing for Saturday, which to me was always a great day. All right, so let's continue with the college basketball theme. There are two programs that are close to us that need head coaches, and I don't know what's going on here. But Penn State has one good year under Micah Shrewsbury, and the guy takes advantage of it. Now, I, I don't know how much of an upgrade this is. He wanted to go to Notre Dame, okay? He's from Indiana, the whole bit. So a lot of people say, well, you can't blame him. Well, I can blame him. I can freaking blame him. I wanted him to stay at Penn State. They made him a good offer to stay at Penn State. All right? I'm not happy about him going to Notre I'm not one of these guys go, oh, good for Micah Shrewsbury. He's going back home. Screw Micah Shrewsbury. He was building a program here at Penn State. We haven't had a basketball program in years, and the guy bails. So I, I, I'm I, not delighted for, for Micah Shrewsbury. So where's the Penn State program going to go now? It probably goes back to where it was. Now there's no momentum at all. But the Temple job is open, and they keep fiddling around with coaches. And I'm. this tells me one thing. Nobody's that interested in coaching at Temple, and it shouldn't be that way. They have a decent setup of a program there, an urban school that can recruit urban athletes that wouldn't be uh, out of the question to play play at Temple. They had a great arena, and, and, and they don't know where to go with the program. So it's sad because Penn State is now left with their pants down, and so is Temple left with their pants down. And I'm not happy about it either because I like both programs, and I especially had some Penn State basketball pride back in me two weeks ago wearing a freaking hat, Penn State basketball, to do this podcast. Now why they'll put a question mark on it. And again, we have this NIL fight at Penn State that I need to talk about quickly because this defines the whole thing. If you can raise NIL funds, you can get players. Penn State is currently in the muck when it comes to that. And there are two competing factions that are trying to head this NIL consortium. One is led by Jay Paterno, the, 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 the son of Joe Paterno. The other is led by Michael Maudie, who was a star linebacker at Penn State. And they're battling each other because Paterno wants the NILs to serve all the sports. Maudie just wants the football. And I sit here as an alum going, what do you want from me? I got my thumb in my nose. All right, I'm ranting today. This is a rant podcast. All right, on that note, let's get some expertise with a man who uh, I uh, have known for a a really long time, and uh, he is synonymous with basketball in this city. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the Final Four is upon us, and uh, our next guest is a very, very special guest for a number of reasons. One of the great Philadelphia basketball coaches and names uh, in this city, and he joins us live from Ann Arbor, Michigan. He, of course, is the great Phil Martelli. Hello, Phil. Mike, how you doing? Fantastic. All right, now, Phil, as far as I can tell, you're a little worried. We'll get into some basketball issues here, but uh, as far as I can tell, you're a little worried now as uh, opening day is oh. coming up this week, and you're you're a diehard Philadelphia Philly fan. A lot of people don't know that about you, but you follow baseball very closely, and you you live and die with the Philadelphia Phillies. And last year, you were kind of in heaven. And this year, I noticed some angst, Phil. So what's up? Come on, Mike. Hoskins goes down on a chop that uh, I'm not sure how many people were watching, but it was spring training baseball. And uh, I guess we have to live with the with the young fellow over there. And I, I don't want Boehm at first base. Leave him a third. Let him grow this year. Solid at short, solid at second. Uh, you know, I think it was a blessing in disguise. Painter, Painter getting injured. Now they can bring him up 
naturally not start a 19 year old in April, cold weather, you know, you know a lot about baseball. So yeah, you're worried. I I get this about it. And you always see, you always push the Yanks button and most of the time it's justified. So let's look at, look at this here before we get into basketball. Uh, I think they're going to struggle during the regular season. I I really do. I think this, uh, you know, Harper's not going to be back for until June. And I don't care what they say about him coming back. He's not going to be back until June. Uh, and and you got a situation now where you got to fill in with a couple guys at first base that you don't know about. One guy can't hit lefties, and I don't know what they're going to do from the right side to to play first base. But the pitching staff is what worries me right now. I mean, they've got they got two guys at the top. I got to see what Wheeler is because he faded last year, and I don't know if if that's an indication that he's in you know fade mode. And then you got Nola, who's got this contract thing all of a sudden. And then it gets precarious because you got Sanchez is a little banged up. You got Taiwan Walker, who hasn't been that great. And the fifth starter, I got news for you. I don't like Bailey Falter, Phil. I, you and I, this is between you and I. <laughs> I hate him. I think he throws pus. And I think he's going to get racked as, as a fifth starter. I think they're going to have to use their bullpen early, which is good, by the way. I just hope they can survive to get to the playoffs. I don't think it's going to be a great regular season, but I think when everything is together at the end, they're going to contend. So does that help you? Uh, I, I could live with that. I could live with a little angst during the, during the uh, summer months. And I will tell you this, when I'm out recruiting and I'm watching games, I have my phone on like MLB. <laughs> what I, I don't even know how to use the, the, the phone, but I put it on there and I watch every pitch. And I grabbed the guy next to me. Go, you believe that guy grounded out to second? All he had to do was hit it to second, move the runner over. They look at me like I'm, like I'm completely. Yeah, yeah you're 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 baseball nuts. It's it's fascinating <laughs> and fun. Uh, but let, let's move it in, into basketball because we got the final four now. It, you know, I, I always look at this. I go, this is what the NCAA tournament is. The NCAA tournament is its greatest strength is the fact that these smaller teams can can win. And yet, it, at the end, it's its greatest weakness because I don't think there's any interest in this Final Four, even though I look at these teams and, and they fight. Those teams that are in that Final Four are hard-ass, hard-nosed, defensive, physical teams, and I enjoy watching it as a basketball guy. But what do you think of this Final Four? Well, to me, it's, it's, it's indicative of the year. I mean, and as, as the year went on, and obviously, I'm following it day by day by day with scores and results and injuries. And uh, I, I thought all along there wasn't a great team. Like, I didn't think, yeah, Houston was number one or, or at some point Kansas was number one or uh, Alabama was number one. But I never saw enough to say they're the ones. You know, they are really – they're really uh, the team. They're the team to beat. So to get here and have these four, and if you said to somebody, put these four together, what would you think you have? And you would say, well, we have a really high-end November tournament. You know, it could be in Maui. It could be, it could be in Myrtle Beach. It could be, uh, it could be in Atlantis. But um, I think the styles – to me, it's more the styles for the fan. Like when when you're going to scratch it out, like San Diego State is going to scratch it out. I don't know that a that a casual fan is going to jump on and say, "Boy, that that is that was really a joy to watch." Anybody could have any opinion that they want, 
But that young lady that plays at Iowa, she's must-see TV for basketball people, right? Like, I don't know about this. And again, I've never sat and watched a whole game. I watch one team in women's basketball, and that's whenever Geno's team's on it with Connecticut. Uh, but, like, her numbers are are just absolutely astounding. I think the other reason uh, for Philadelphians is Dawn Staley at South Carolina. But in this men's tournament, what is – what's the draw? What's going to bring people to sit and watch a game – and particularly, and I'm not knocking it, but San Diego State is going to get on a plane from San Diego to Houston with the idea of holding the other team to 55 points. That's hard to watch, I think. Yeah, it, it's it's not. The, the casual basketball fan is out on this tournament. You have to really be a hardcore basketball guy to be invested in this Final Four. But let me ask you a question as far as the way the trend is going. Because it looks to me, and you mentioned it, the number one seeds, the high seeds – aren't as dominant as they used to be, and the, and the lower seeds have risen up. Explain how that's happening, even in the midst of this NIL thing. Well, I, think, I don't think we're giving enough um, credence uh, to the idea of older. I mean, I just saw a stat this morning. I think that three freshmen will start in the Final Four, and 23 or 24 starters – uh, uh, or or rotation guys are, are seniors or grad students. I do think that in this case, older older is better. And uh, the young guys, the young guys, whatever else went on, just the basketball player, Brandon Miller at Alabama, look at his numbers from the NCAA tournament. So is the season too long for a young kid uh, across the board? So I do think that the COVID year and the teams that have stayed together, right? We played San Diego State out here a couple of years ago on national TV, and four of those guys played in that game, whether it was two or three years ago. Uh, I think that that we have to give more thought to the age of these teams as opposed to the star power or the NBA potential uh, or or the one and done. Uh, There was a part of me during the year, Mike, that I thought, you know what, Duke's got this thing together. And, but across the board, they're one and done. You know, it's a first year head coach and all of these young kids and they hit a, they hit a roadblock. I thought, I actually thought that a great storyline would have been Gonzaga, very similar to when you remember Danny Manning and the Miracles win it in Kansas City. We'll, we'll substitute Drew Timmy for Danny Manning, and do you, do you have the same kind of dynamic? But uh, in Gonzaga's case, they put so much into that UCLA game, just like they did two years ago in the bubble, that they were exhausted. They had nothing for Connecticut. Let's talk about the NIL and the transfer portal because this is where it's going. Now, you just mentioned the older teams benefit here. Uh, the, 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 the NIL, in theory, can the NIL, in theory, keep college kids longer with their teams and hence produce a more experienced team? Do you believe that's the good part of the NIL? No, I, I definitely think that the 
that the NIL, um, and to me, this is just like the, the iceberg sticking up out of the water. Like we, we haven't seen the whole thing yet. Uh, but there are absolutely young people who I've always said this, like when people would say, well, they're leaving school early. In a lot of cases, they were running from school because maybe they weren't solid students and they were thinking like, well, I, I just get ahead of it. I'll start my, my career. And then you never hear of them again. Or they go start their career and I'm not, Nike, not knocking it, but they start their career and they end up in Iceland and they're looking around going, this is it for $55,000. Some of the numbers in NIL, Mike, are inflated. Some of it's bar talk, right? You know what? I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this is what I used to do, right? Uh, or or these are the schools that have contacted me. Or People make it stuff, lunchroom talk, that, that kind of thing. But clearly there are young people who instead of chasing a long shot, an NBA career, a pro career, are able to stay in school, hopefully grow, grow socially, grow, grow uh, academically. And the NIL is going to, I think it's going to make college basketball older as we go through this. Well, that's a good part of it. We're talking to Phil Martelli. Of course, Phil and I go back uh, many years, um, and uh, I always like to tell a story. Uh, my first job was obviously covering schools, high schools, for a smaller newspaper. And one of the newspapers was uh, we, we covered was Bishop Kendrick. And here's this dashing young coach on the sidelines for Bishop Kendrick, and his assistant is Gino Ariema. It's Phil Martelli. Back in the day, a fiery Phil Martelli, a handsome in shape type of ex basketball player, fiery as all hell. That's exactly right. Right, that's the first time we met. I'm just watching you, Coach Bishop Kendrick. Yeah, they, you know what? A lot of times they call me the Godfather, and I think about it. And after phone call after phone call, these last couple of days, I'm like, I'm like this sage. I'm sitting on a mountain, giving out information. There weren't a lot of mountains in Norristown, Mike. Uh, so let me just now move to the transfer portal, which is a fascinating concept to me because I covered ba college basketball at the times when the, co the, the coach actually had to sign off on letting you go from a letter of intent. And then you had to sit out uh, one year. And in Bobby Knight's case with Lawrence Funderburg, he made the kids sit out two years before he, he released them. So now it's like a, almost a mercenary system. And I'm curious to know, as an old school guy, what do you think of this system now where teams can – just pile up on transfers. These used to be JUCOs that are legitimate starting players from other programs and stick them on the team. Um, I'm saddened by it because I am a relationship guy. And I do believe that recruiting was about developing relationships. And then when the kid chose your school, you were involved in every aspect of it. You felt responsible for him to grow academically. You felt responsible for him to grow socially. You felt responsible for him to grow as a player. That was a, like a real relationship, not a fake relationship. You know, like if on a team, you don't know what your teammates, mother or father do for a living. You don't have a real relationship. If you don't know how many brothers they have, you don't know, you don't have a real relationship. And I, I felt that you would build a program. Young players would come in, they would learn, they would learn from the older. Then when it was their turn, they would lead. 
And now, honestly, with the portal, what it has become is transactional. So, Mike, we would like you to come to Michigan. And this is what we would like to see you do. Not NIL, but this is what we would like to see you do over the course of a year. And you're doing the same thing. The young people are doing the same thing. Yeah, I'd like to come there. And like, what do you think my shots are going to be? And what are my minutes going to be? And at the end of the year, I'll evaluate where it is. So we've taken what I believe was a relationship-driven sport, and it's become transactional. That's on one side. The other part of the transaction is this. Coaches' leashes will be much shorter. So instead of getting four years, get your guys in here and build this thing, and let's see what this becomes, I think when a guy like Tang at Kansas State can turn it like in one year, I think you're talking now coaches tops three years. At least three guys this year were let go after two years at their school. And I believe that the portal and then the whole societal thing, how do we deal with disappointment? How does a young person learn to deal with disappointment? Right? And if and if it's the television, right, and they're using the remote, I'm disappointed in that show. I change. So now we've done the same thing in college. So pick a school. You could be at Long Beach State and say, I went to Long Beach State because of the weather and because I wanted to get to the West Coast or or whatever it would be. And then 10 months later, no, that's not it. Uh, Now I'm going to go to Wyoming. And my other part about it is this. In times of stress, and times of strife and times of, of just getting knocked on your backside in life, where do we all turn? We all turn back to teammates or college professors or mentors or counselors that we had because we, we, need, a pl- we need an anchor. When you are moving around like this, you have no anchor, right? You, are, you covered them. How many guys, how many guys, 30 years after they played for, would say to you, Mike, I'm a Cheney guy, right? I'm a Rolly guy. Mm-hmm. I'm a Jay Wright guy, right? So in times of strife, they lose a parent, they lose a job, they lose a spouse. Where do those young people turn? Because they have no anchor. So they become lost boys, pretty much. I think. Uh, interesting point. Um, let's talk about the Big Ten this year. Um, you know, I, I'm I was curious to get your spin on you know, coaching St. Joe's uh, all, all those years and uh, having to recruit uh, with those kind of limitations. You go to Michigan and everything is just wide up. Michigan is just larger than life, and you can recruit on on such a national level. Uh, and so, so that dynamic, first of all, talk about that dynamic when you got there, how different was that for you? <laughs> well, I'll give you a, a story cause I have plenty of them and you've heard most of them, but not all of them. Uh, my first week here, I had a bald man's dream. I needed a haircut. <laughs> you know what that means to a bald man to say, I need a haircut. That's like really, like that's way up there, right? 
and I was driving. They sent me in a direction and I wasn't quite sure. And I was following these. And Mike, I came up to a traffic light. And I looked to my right and I said, oh, that's a nice little community football field. Maybe it's a junior high field. Maybe, maybe even it's a small high school field. And I drive up a little bit and I stop and I look at the fence. It was the practice field for the Michigan band. The only people allowed to use it were the Michigan band. They had the whole thing. They had the tower. And then next to it was the building for the Michigan band. And I picked up the phone and I called our dear friend, Don DeJulia, and said, Don, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Like the <laughs> band has their own field, their own building, and you want you want for nothing. And not, not that I cry about anything. Like, the, this is what it is. But if the phone goes haywire, you pick up the guy and he handles the phone. If a player wants to eat a certain way, you call the nutritionist. And so you have all of these things. My biggest adjustment was making the things about people. That's my, that's what I feel my strength is. I'm a people person, not an X and O guy, not a, but just people. And here at Michigan, and then you, you put on top of that, you have Jawan Howard and, uh, it it has been it's been really exhilarating to recruit like this uh but it's challenging you know like you're not sitting in a side gym in Las Vegas looking around and you're watching Jameer Nelson and you're saying how come nobody else is watching Jameer Nelson right here you sit down and go yo Cal what's up yo Tom Izzo what's up <laughs> you know like it's the real deal and so you have to do it every day and you have to be really good at it every day. You are, yeah. You're, you're in a pool of players that uh, a lot of people are trying to grab. And I, I would assume that that's got to be uh, pretty challenging for you. So what's, what's the pitch? Is there a difference in the pitch for, for uh, like a McDonald's all American caliber player, as opposed to a guy that you can maybe steal out of Philadelphia? Yeah. Unfortunately, um, yeah, the pitch is different. I, I, that's the wrong word. It's not unfortunate. It is what it is. And to me, it's still uh, digging down and finding out what's important uh, to them and uh, to have a, a, a value system, but also to, to, to make it real, real personal in this recruiting and not, not like, well, you're – you're a McDonald's All-American, so I have to treat you like a McDonald's All-American. No, treat him like a kid. Treat him like a like a, a senior. And so what really digging down and getting them not to be social media stars, not for them to be like facades, you know, 3D facade, but what's what's really in there? And and to me, it stays the same. What I would like to do is enter into a partnership with you and your family, and I would like to produce a better person, whether it's one year, two years, or four years, a better person, a better player, and a better student. Does that mean you have to graduate from college? No. But if you come to Michigan and you don't take advantage of this opportunity, you, 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 get, you have to examine what, what are your values. 
Um, Phil, uh, did you see Penn State making that kind of a move? There's a couple things. Are you talking about this year's team? This year's team. There's a couple of things. They're slogging along, and all of a sudden they catch fire at the end, and it was like unrecognizable. Well, here's the thing. Because you covered this really when it came into play, came into fashion, so to speak. The fact that they were a team that averaged 11 threes a game, that made them different. The fact of the matter that they played with, and I don't know all the terminology, but I'm going to lay this one on you. Jalen Pickett at Penn State was really Jalen Brunson at Villanova. He played with his back to the basket. He used his backside. He put the ball in the low post, and they played off of him. Well, what did Jalen Brunson won two national championships? So when the NBA guys call, they'll say, well, you know, who would you compare him to? That's easy, Jalen Brunson. A bigger Jalen Brunson. You know, that – and, and then they'll hit you with, like, yeah, he made $100 million. I, uh-huh. I'm not telling you what to pay or, or where the kid should play, but, but to me, the Penn State gold, right, the Penn State gold this year was they played different than the rest of the Big Ten. Is Jalen Pickett an NBA player? All I know is when I'm asked, I present his name. What I'm told is that he'll have to get dirt underneath his fingernails and work his way through the G League. I trust what they tell me more than like my eye to say, well, geez, I, mm-hmm. I, I think there's, there's gotta be a place yeah, uh, for that kid. But is he similar to Scotty Reynolds, who we all know, right? Scotty Reynolds was a first team all American and maybe he had two cups of coffee. <coughs> uh, is Pickett just, he was an All-American. And- yeah, I, I, I got to be sure. I didn't think Jalen Brunson was going to turn out to be this big of a star. So I, if if he can do it and, he, and pick his game is like that, uh, why not? Uh, let's let's move on because we were speaking of Penn State. He just lost the coach. And I, and I guess you got to strike while the iron is hot. But that's a big loss for Penn State. It's an open job. Um, do you still want to be a head coach in college basketball? I would like to, I would like to uh, do it again on – and I don't mean my terms – but I'd like to look at you as an athletic administrator and say, are you interested in the pursuit of championships? Because like at my age, 68, it's not build something. It's all right, let's get in and get to work and let's pursue a championship. I think I've said to you before, Mike, I have a bucket list. My bucket list is to coach on a Monday night in April, that Monday night in April. My bucket list is to meet Springsteen. Because if everybody, if everybody in this country worked as hard at their job as he does at his job, this would be, it's a great country. It would be the greatest, the greatest of all time. And I want to meet Tiger Woods because I want to ask Tiger Woods. In my opinion, Tiger Woods was headed for the Mount Rushmore, not Mount Rushmore of athletes, not Mount Rushmore of golf, not Mount Rushmore, like of the greatest Americans, the biggest impact. And I would just like to ask him, why? Those are my three. So the answer to that question is, yes, I, I would love to do it. Uh, but I want to do it in a program that is not, not, not by word, but by action, pursuit of a championship from the top to the groundskeepers 
to the student managers. And then I would throw in this and then I would throw in this caveat that there's no place like home too. Okay. So would Penn State or Temple be in that category for you? That's a cell phone you're showing. <laughs> That's all I, okay. That's enough of that. Phil is showing his cell phone to the camera. So uh Penn State Temple, he's taking your call uh right now. Uh, it, it, Phil, when I, when you look back Listen, I, I just went through this, right? Uh, I was a victim of uh, misguided, unintelligent evaluations from incompetent management. Uh, and, and I think you also were. So, uh, and it still gets me. Uh, I wonder if you look back at that St. Joe thing and it still gets you. Uh, Mike, here's what I have. Uh, no one, no one, no one, no one social media, no one administratively, no one in the Philadelphia basketball circles can take these two things from me. My memories and my relationships, they're mine, right? I, it's not about the wins. It's not about the nets. It's not about, it, it's not about going on the Mike Missanelli show or, or TV or anything like that. My memories and my relationships, they're mine. They didn't take them from me. Okay. That's fair enough. I, I can read between the lines there. Uh, so let's even go further back and let's go to the great team. Um, and to this day, it is uh, astonishing that uh, St. Joseph's that year was so nationally recognized. Uh, when you look back at that year, how did you put that together? And what was the sting like of losing that game to Oklahoma State? Uh, the sting... Uh is every day. So that was 2004. It's, it's every day for 20 years. There's a moment in time. Now there, there were, there were moments when I would be driving on city line Avenue and I couldn't go any further because I was just frozen. But then I became driven to say, you know what, if we did that once we could do it again. And, and I worked every day to make that uh, a reality. Because even with that team, people would say, well, you can't do that. You can't do that at a small Jesuit school in Philadelphia. You can't. You can't do it. And certainly you, you can't do it the way you want to do it, where you want to come in, come in. You want to watch practice, watch practice. Uh, you want an interview, you know, with uh, – the Scranton talk radio show. Yeah, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to not promote me, but to promote the, the these players and the university. So there's not a day, there's not a day where there's not pause to say that was extraordinary. The second thing that gives me pause almost every day is because I talk to almost every one of those guys on a weekly or biweekly uh, basis. And I often, I hope, and I pray that they understood what they did, right? They truly galvanized a city. And, and I would argue with anybody that was as great a basketball team as there was represented our city. And that includes the national championship teams at Villanova and the number one teams at Temple. There was just something about that team whether it was the undersized or the, oh, look at this mom and pop operation. 
uh, look at this gym or whatever it was. That that team grabbed everybody's attention. The way it was put together was, you know, everybody knows the story about Jameer Nelson. And I went to Sam and the assistant coaches at the time, Monte Ross and Matt Brady said, you're not going to like him. He's too small. And I saw him play in a district one championship game at Villanova. And at halftime, I called them on a cell phone. The cell phones then were real big and bulky. I called them both. I said, do you think this kid from Chester's too small? They said, yes. I said, you're fired. And then the other one yeah. answered the phone and said the same thing. And I said, then you're fired. And I didn't fire anybody, right? <laughs> I said, this kid will be the greatest player ever to play at St. Joseph's. All due respect to Clifford Anderson. Like he, that he was the, and he was the linchpin. So then Pat Carroll, when you recruit Pat Carroll a year later, he said, I want to play with Jameer. Delonte West was a savant. He really was. He, he was, he was just absolutely uh, extraordinary. Two thirds of that year, Mike, two thirds of the way through that year, he led us in assist. Everybody's like, no, no, Jameer was the player of the year. He's the point guard. No, 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 Delonte did. Delonte did. And then those guys in the front court, Dwayne Jones, okay, your responsibility is to catch and finish and to be a shot blocker and a rebounder. Uh, we played a lot of that year with four guards, Chet Stokitis and Tyrone Barley, and uh, Dave Mallon was a starter who, who then came off the bench. It was um, – I think the beauty of that team was in this, like they were a fist. There wasn't, there wasn't 25 people hanging around and everybody going like, well, what's my job? They were clear. The scout team was the scout team and they were to torture those guys. And I also believe that they approached it the way we should all approach life. I want to take everything I can out of this day. If it's a day off, I want to take everything I can out of this day. If it's a lift day, I want to be terrific at lifting. And my only my only hesitation is should I have kept adding to our playbook and adding to our playbook? Would that have, you know, pushed us over the top for that one more play against Oklahoma State? But um I I was honored to be a part of that. And to be, uh, to like kind of put it together. And then earlier you asked, it would be my drive because I know how close it was and I know how it felt. I know what it looks like. I know how it tastes. And that was what I was driven to do every day after 2004. Phil, it is a pleasure to catch up with you, man. Uh, we miss you here. Uh, uh, I, I assume you're, you're still headed to the Jersey Shore. During the summers, Mike, I wish there was more summer, uh, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, Avalon is my is my uh, summer home. My wife goes down there the day school ends for the grandkids, and then and then uh, I kind of jump in and out. And uh, I, I am I don't have to tell you this, but I'm Philly through and through. And if I was to bring in one any one of these staff people. If they ask me what I talk about every single solitary day. Well, do me a favor. Uh, smack Harbaugh for, for me, will you? 
because you know I've had it with him. I'm, uh, you didn't even bring that up, but you didn't even bring that up. But spring football on on. Uh... Yeah, I know spring football. Blue white games coming up too. I'm ups- kind of obsessed with it. Penn. It's Penn State's year. Tell Harbaugh, it's Penn State's year. The number one quarter. They finally got a quarterback, and they got two sensational running backs. They're gonna be hell to defend. Tell Harbaugh that. Where is that game this year? I don't know. I have to look. Doesn't matter where that game is. I think it's in. I think it's in state because last year. All right. Well, you, you know that's going to be a whiteout then. So forget it. Forget about it. Tell yeah, Harbaugh. Forget. Oh, brother. It. All right, brother. Listen. Nice talking to you. We'll catch up. I'll see you at the Princeton. Mike, I really appreciate it, and and uh, I'm not going to panic. But if they fall behind, when's the first game? Thursday. I'll, I'm going to panic if they, if they fall behind Thursday. Yeah, I know. I'll get. I'll get a text from you. They lose Thursday. I'm getting a text from you. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> all right you can guarantee it <laughs> i ride on every pitch man i'll see you phil all right mike it's the mike missanelli podcast on the bet rivers network all right it's time on the mike missanelli podcast to go into a little thing we do we call mike unleash this is where our, uh, i venture off into various topics and sometimes i don't even know where i'm going with it but i have uh you know i form a semblance of of topics that I want to talk about, and then we just let it go, and they could be sports, they could be otherwise. So let's start Mike Unleashed today with my man, Charles Barkley. Charles was on 60 Minutes. <laughs> this guy, I swear to God, this guy is the most in-demand human being on the face of the planet. Now, he's intriguing for enough to 60 Minutes to come in and get an interview. So we would uh, we decided that we we're going to we we're going to play some um some material from Charles appearance on Sunday 60 minutes. Here's Charles Barkley. Is Kevin Durant a great go. great player? If you ain't driving the bus, don't walk around and talk about you a champion. His takes don't always go over well. Kevin Durant, a perennial all-star, once said of Barkley, "I don't know why they still ask for this idiot's opinion." Kevin Durant, he's very sensitive. Great player. He's part of that generation who think he can't be criticized. He's never looked in the mirror and says, man, was that a fair criticism? We're in agreement. Today's players are a little more sensitive to criticism than your generation. That would be an understatement. Today's players take offense, but so have players from your generation. It's been been a while since you and Michael Jordan spoke. Michael disagreed with something I said, and he broke off the friendship. All right, so so that's Charles Barkley. I find this fascinating, This uh, the the beefs uh, like the. I, I hate Kevin Durant, all right? Uh, I'll give you first to tell you. Uh, I feel the same way about Kevin Durant probably as Charles, Charles Barkley does. You just heard him say he's a little bit sensitive. Yeah, yeah, he's a lot sensitive. And he always has to snap back and tweet stuff. It's the way I feel about Target. When you're the greatest basketball player going, what do you need to get involved in this this these beefs and go back and forth with people? Be secure enough that you're the greatest basketball player. Who cares what people say about you? All right, people are going to criticize you. So, but this guy gets the red ass every single time somebody says something about him. Now, where I think Charles is out of line is where he said that KD is a bus rider and not a bus driver. That's foolish. That's a fool. That's the thing that Charles says. Sometimes he talks out of his butt because Charles was a bus. In that respect, Charles was a bus rider. Charles didn't win a championship. So was he the driver or the bus? There are a lot of great players have never won a championship. That doesn't mean KD is not great. He did win a championship when he was surrounded by great players. And for one reason or another, they haven't won. Uh, he hasn't won a championship. But that doesn't mean he's not a great player. So that's where I take exception with uh, with K, uh, uh, Charles Barkley's criticism of, of KD. But but now uh, let's go into uh, the uh, 
KD response to Charles Barkley. Um, his tweet, he says, this ain't getting tiring, Chuck. I'll never respect the words that come out your mouth, fam. Just deal with it. <laughs> now I'm going, what, what is that about? Why, 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 why does KD have to put something like that out? All right? Uh, I don't get these guys. They, they, they crack me up uh, with, with their beefs back and forth. Charles Barkley is honest in his criticism. And he doesn't care what he says. He doesn't care that he can ruin friendships. Uh, like he ruined a friendship with Michael Jordan, his greatest friend. He, he couldn't care less. Uh, and he says, you know, I got pride too, so Michael needs to call me. Uh, but, but this KD thing is really interesting to me. KD, you're not perfect, all right? So sometimes unperfect people, which we all are, have to take some criticism and roll with it. All right. So, uh, you know, to me, it's ridiculous. And it's good, like going back to Embiid. Embiid says he doesn't care about the MVP. He's obsessed with it. And he puts out these little things the other day. Uh, he's taking a blatant shot at, at Jokic by saying, you know, you know, there's some guys in analytics and some guys don't play defense and they've won the award before. He's, 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 he's aiming right at Jokic. For a guy that doesn't care about the MVP, he's obsessed with it all the time, which is why sometimes he could be a little bitch. All right, next on Mike Unleashed. Uh, let's talk some Phillies baseball. Let me let me bring this up first, okay? Because I'm why, and everybody by now has seen the video. It's going viral. Uh, There's an umpire named Randy Rosenberg, who uh, apparently is a AAA umpire who's had some cups of coffee in the major leagues. He's called up every now and then to fill in for people. It's a spring training game, the Phillies yesterday, and um, Craig Kimbrell's on the mound. Now, I, when you see the video, here's how the video: the the, the, the pitch uh, is in the dirt. So JT puts his glove back to get the ball from the umpire and he doesn't feel the ball and he puts his glove back down. The umpire wigs out and throws him out of the game thinking that JT was trying to show him up with the okie doke. Oh, here's my glove sap. It's not here anymore. Right. That's what the umpire actually thought it was this idiot. As it turns out, now the first thing I thought about was that guy probably had a beef with JT the whole game. JT may have been saying, that looked like a strike to me, Randy, but, and, and it all compiled and, and that was the last straw he threw him out of the game. Because the umpires will do that, but they, they get that personal thing. But as it turns out, uh, uh, Craig Kimbrell was called for a, a, a pitch clock violation. And uh, so JT uh, must have said something about it. And so the umpire assumed now that JT was trying to show him up by giving him the okie doke. Here's my glove. Now let me pull it away. Like Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown. <laughs> and he throws him out of the game. Now, first of all, you know I hate umpires. I especially hate umpires that would react emotionally to try to get back at you for something. You are a relevant umpire. And in, in, in the overall scope of things, you don't mean dick to the baseball game. And the thing that you do is appalling to me. This guy, Randy Rosenberg, should never see a major league field. If that guy is going to react emotionally and play those kind of macho games with somebody, there's no room for him in baseball. He also should publicly apologize for doing what he did yesterday. And that's the only way that Major League Baseball shouldn't throw him out if he if he apologizes. So there you go. That's number two, uh, Mike Unleashed. Let's stay with the baseball theme. The Phillies had their roster set. You know, we were at spring training a couple of weeks ago. We we're trying to figure out who the extra men would be. As it turns out, Scott Kingery and uh, Roger Clemens' kid are not on the team. Did not make the team. They weren't happy about it either. Apparently, Kingery thought he was going to make the team. And Kingery 
from what they say, grabbed his cell phone, and stalked outside for 10 minutes. Clemens was misty-eyed, as you might think. He's trying to make a big league roster. Uh, So they didn't make it. So the extra men that they kept were Cave and Guthrie as their extra guys that are going to play the outfield. And Guthrie will probably spell Marsh in center field. I'm not in love with Guthrie, so, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a big keep for the Phillies. But that's your roster as we approach opening day in Texas on Thursday. All Cave did, Mike, all spring, all Cave did was hit. I mean, you and I talked about him a lot down in Clearwater. Yeah, he, they, they, could, they couldn't have kept him off the roster even though he was left-handed, which meant they had to keep a right-hander, which Guthrie won by default over Kingery. Uh, let me move into this uh, little thing because the power rankings – uh, came out, ESPN Power Rankings came out the other day, and uh, they ranked the top 100 players in Major League Baseball. Uh, and, and I just want to point this out because I don't understand the logic uh, of this. And I don't know whether they did it just to be uh, talked about or what. Uh, Bryce Harper is injured. I get it. He clearly is one of the top 15 players in baseball. Now, they put pitchers in there. It's tough to mix pitchers in when you're naming the top 100 players in baseball. It's tough to quantify a pitcher against a hitter. But that's the way they did it. Bryce Harper came out as 67, I believe. So these were the people that were ranked ahead of him in Major League Baseball's top 100 players. Now, I just say that the rationale they had him so low was that he's injured currently. Well, so what does that make him, a worse player? Because he's injured. Now does he stink? And now he's in the 60s? It's completely faulty logic. Here are the players that are ranked ahead of him. Austin Riley was 18. Now, JT Real Muto is ranked ahead, like 22nd or whatever. I, uh, Alonzo from the Mets, ahead of Bryce Harper. Adley Rutschman, the rookie from Baltimore Orioles, is ahead. Michael Harris of the Braves was ranked ahead of him. Will Smith, what? the catcher for the Dodgers. Andres Jimenez from Cleveland. Bo Bichette, Jeremy Pena, Matt Olson, Matt Olson, Dansby Swanson, Cedric Mullins, and Jeff McNeil were players that were on the list ahead of Bryce Harper. And their rationale is we have Bryce Solo because he's in. Come on. Gee, I, I guess when you're injured, you suddenly stink. It's ridiculous. That's a crime. That, that means somebody should be arrested for that. And I don't do a lot of these rankings, Mike, are put out and, and formulated the way they are because they know certain fan bases will react or reactionary more than others. And a lot of times I feel like something like this, like let's just move Harper down to get all of Philadelphia in a tizzy. And it's very possible that that's what they did. Yeah, maybe. You know what? That that might be uh, the, their their whole uh, modus operandi here. Yeah. But anyway, I just had to point that out for the people. All right, let's close out Mike Unleashed today with NBA players and how how they act. I know nobody goes to see officials officiate a game. I know people hate officials. I can't take any more complaints from players. There is not one NBA player that doesn't commit a foul, and and every time a foul is called. They act like that they just got caught robbing a bank. I I mean, it's got to stop. So what I'm saying is these referees, they've been instructed to take it, okay, Uh, because nobody wants to see them officiate. They want to see the players. But you got to set – you got the playoffs coming. You got to set some kind of a message. This is getting – totally obnoxious with these players and all it doesn't make the game look good 
It just doesn't. It, like, if I'm the NBA commissioner, it doesn't make my game look good with all these guys doing this on every single call. All it does is delay the freaking game. So I, I'm an advocate of now. You got to tee up some people and send a message. Now, while, while I'm saying this, Luka Doncic, who is a little crybaby bitch, even though he's a great player. I mean, he's like one of the chief culprits. He's moping up and down the floor the other night. Unless I get Luka, you're unhappy. Things aren't going well in Dallas. Kyrie didn't make the big difference that you thought. I'm I'm so unhappy here. He's so unhappy. He's an NBA player making a gazillion dollars. He's so unhappy that he has to act out, right? So he gets a technical foul the other day. It's a 16. Now, you get 16, he gets suspended for a game. He appeals it. They rescind it. They rescind the suspension because he's Luka Doncic. Because the NBA can't stand to have their guy suspended because it, it depletes the entertainment value for little Timmy who's going to the freaking game. They rescinded. He deserved the technical. He acted out. He cussed the guy out. It's a technical foul. They rescinded. Well, why did they rescind it? Was he talking to somebody in the stands? He was talking to the official. I can't take it anymore at this NBA. <laughs> All right. That ends Mike Unleashed for today. All right, it is time now for three questions for Mike Miss. Always an entertaining part of the Mike Miss Nelly podcast. Darren, producer, what do you have today? All right, three questions for Mikey Miss today. Uh, Mike, you watch uh, late night TV, uh, as do I. What is your current favorite and least favorite late night host? Um. I- well, it, it, listen, it started to stop with David Letterman. I don't really watch the late night anymore. But uh, if first of all, I hate Jimmy Fallon. And and, uh, and Stephen Colbert is just too much for me. He's too, I agree with you on everything so far. Yep. He, he's, he's too much into the sarcasm, irony, and I've had enough of that. So by default, I'll go Jimmy Kimmel because I love the zingers he puts out there against Trump every night. And he doesn't give an F. But whether the conservative audience is going to leave. I was always told, well, you're losing half of your audience if you rip conservatives. So Jimmy Kimmel doesn't give an F about that. And I appreciate that about him. Uh, I, I think I would agree with you. Jimmy Fallon, my least favorite as well. Uh, I'm not a Fallon guy at all. I like Seth Myers a little bit. You ever watch him? No, too late. I'm watching movies. If I'm up that late, I'm watching other stuff. Well, I, what I do is if there's a good a music actor or a good act on, I, I DVR them. And then I get up early in the morning, watch with my coffee. There you go. Well, that's nice. Hey, yeah, I'm not going to DVR a late night show with Seth Meyers. I would drink my coffee. Sorry. <laughs> He's got some good writers. All right. Number two, we had a Philadelphia institution, as far as I'm concerned, Phil Martelli on today. Mike, give me your Mount Rushmore of Philadelphia collegiate. Could be any sport. Philly collegiate head coaches. Philly collegiate head coaches. Well, Cheney, Rowley, uh, Herb McGee, and... Um, Speedy. A little South guy in there. I like it. Right around my, my Rushmore right there. Speedy, Rowley, Cheney, Herb McGee. That's a strong list. You can't argue with any of those guys. Um, last Friday, question number three, Mike. Last Friday, a Friday in Lent, I might add, was National Cheese Steak Day. Where You got one spot to eat a cheesesteak from for the rest of your life. You only get you pick one place. That's the only place you can eat it from for the rest of your life. What is your cheesesteak spot, Mike? Yeah, it's not even a question. It's John's Rose Pork on Oregon Avenue. However, I recently had a cheesesteak at Angelo's, uh, 9th Street. 
And I got to tell you, it's a pretty tough tussle. Now, my boy, John Bucci down there, John's Rose Pork, I, if I, that's the one I'm selecting. But I got to tell you, I was blown away by the cheesesteak at Angelo's. So either or at this point. All right. Trust just try. If you are out of town and you didn't get cheesesteak, you got to get it to one of those two places. A true cheesesteak right there. Can't argue with either one of those either. That is three questions for Mikey Miss. All right, let's close it out with a final thought today. I got two final thoughts. Uh, let's uh, first start with this one here. I went to a place the other day, a very intriguing place. It's a new place. It's got a Scandinavian slickness to it. It's a, it's a bar uh, that is Scandinavian glossed up and sleek. It's called uh, Audrahem. And I would recommend it's a great place to get a drink with with a significant other, wife, girlfriend, whatever. Very, very kind of like mysterious darkness to it uh, inside, right? But here's where I draw the line. I draw the line at Scandinavian food. I don't get it. And uh, I sampled some of the Scandinavian food, and I go, how do these people exist? You know, the Swedish meatball is one thing. What else do they got? It's like boiled fish like some kind of thing like i don't understand how anybody could open a scandinavian restaurant what is the appeal of a scandinavian restaurant there are three cultures that know and know nothing about food one is scandinavia one is ireland the other is england all right i ain't going to an irish restaurant an english restaurant i'm certainly not going to a scandinavian restaurant but i would highly recommend that you spot this place out for a drink this is the hottest spot in the city right now to get a drink and sit there like a like a gentleman and his lady all right now let's close it down with this one my final thought is again self-deprecating the other day uh i am um parked and there's a meter there and i have to go into to a a, a store and have a cup of coffee with somebody who i'm talking to about doing some speaking engagements so i don't know how long i'm gonna be there it's a so the meter gives you 20, uh, uh, it's a quarter for a half hour. And I got quarters. So I put the quarter in, half hour, 30 minutes. Now I'm going, uh, suppose it's longer than 30 minutes. I was actually questioning putting another quarter in the machine. This goes back to how you're raised to be frugal, not waste anything. And I'm going, am I going to waste another quarter here for another half hour of time? And I'm going, dude, it's a quarter. And and I'm wrestling with my brain to try to save a freaking quarter. And at that moment, I said, you know what? There are some things that will never leave your body the way you're raised. You're raised to be frugal. You never know when it's going to surface in your life. And there was a moment where I actually was trying to save 25 cents. Quarters are valuable, Mike. Like if I'm at a bar and I get change on the bar, like just say it's uh, the drink is for whatever, 550 and I put a 10 down and I get 450 back. I'll keep the quarters and throw another single down so that you get the full five. Because I quarters are valuable. Well, let me just tell you, these, these meters... Uh, these meters are on a mom and pop store street, right? And they used to accept nickels 
and dimes, like ten, t- a dime for ten minutes, a nickel for five minutes, right? So you can, for fifteen cents, get away with parking. Now, now they have they have upgraded it to a quarter, and it threw me for a tizzy. I go, usually I can put a dime in there. I don't miss a dime. I got to put another quarter in there. I got to spend fifty cents for parking, and I, I, I realized, Mike, you are an idiot. <laughs> All right. It's going to close down the show for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Phil Martelli for being our special guest. Don't forget the Bet Rivers app. Don't forget to email me if you got any beefs with me or any compliments. I love compliments. Mike at MikeMiss.com is my email address. That's Mike at MikeMiss.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. And listen, you tweet me, you email me. If it's compelling enough, we're going to make you a star on the Mike Missnelli podcast. So, everybody, have a great Rest of the day, we're coming back at you later in the week to preview the Phillies opening day. Baseball season's upon us. Have a great day, everybody. I'm Mike Miss, and I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.